Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. It is March, and as usual, we dedicate this month to the women in IT. This year, we have very interesting stories from an HR person, 11-year-old developer, an entrepreneur turned community manager turned author, and a corporate leader. Today, I'm in conversation with Kripa NS, a senior HR professional. In this conversation, Kripa shares her first job which she got by chance to get into IT training and how she had a natural inclination to be in HR. How the relationship between HR and technical persons have evolved over the years and the increasing use of analytics by HR and how the first level or the reporting manager should be the starting point for HR in any organization. She also talks about how to address challenges in working with people who appear still yesterday, but are your team members today. Her experience with managing mergers and acquisition from a cultural integration perspective of teams and individuals, and the need for empathy, listening abilities to make the new employees feel included and treated fairly. With all this, she also shares how she de-stresses and some of her hobbies. And finally, she talks about the need to invest in oneself in the chosen line and constantly upskill. Listen on. Hi, Kripa. Welcome to the Software People Stories. Hi, hi, Shiv. Very good afternoon. Thank oh. you for inviting me. Oh, it's been my pleasure. As I was saying earlier, this year for the Women's Month that we normally celebrate, we wanted to feature people who are most of the times in the background, but helping the software people create the magic. I wanted to hear your perspectives and we will get into that. But before we start, if you can start with a self-introduction, what you've been doing in your career and how you got into IT, maybe then we can okay. take it from there. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so I've been, um, you know, all through in the IT industry for over 20 plus years now. And, you know, being a young graduate, as I came in, it was then the IT boom that was really picking up and the training industry was something that was really taking, was growing in leaps and bounds. And uh, that is where I ended up getting my uh, first job. It was not by uh, choice, but I would say it started by chance, but I'm really delighted that I had this path. I started my career in the IT training industry and then uh, later on moved into a very typical software firm. And uh, ever since I have been uh, uh, working here, most of my career I've spent uh, in HCL, uh, almost about 17 years of this, uh, you know, tenure I've been uh, with HCL. And other than this, uh, you know, I was working with Kindle Systems for some time, which is again another uh, banking organization, obviously a little bit into recruitment, uh, part of my career that I spent with. So in short, this is how, you know, I moved into IT and I've always been uh, as a person or as a personality that I, I come across or, you know, the way I am 
I had a natural inclination to, you know, uh, probably move into the HR uh, side. And having been doing my postgraduate, also being a postgraduate in the same uh, domain, it just made it more relevant for me. Uh, it was then by choice that I decided that HR is the profession that I would like to take up and uh, grow myself into. 20 plus years being with in HR, various facets, right from, you know, hire to retire, the complete life cycle, I've been playing a key role in the organization. I enjoy being with employees and that's how it has been all these years and there has been no looking back. On the personal side, you know, my do- I have my daughter, her name is Mansi and she's doing her 10th this year and uh, my husband also works in the IT and into HR. So therefore, I think it's a family of HR people but we don't discuss anything about work. That's a different thing altogether. But uh, yeah, this is on my personal. Otherwise, a person with varied hobbies, interests, etc. That keeps me alive. Yes, I have some questions for you on that. Uh, maybe later. Sure. Okay. Uh, so the first thing is uh, probably what we otherwise call as the digital natives about technology. You seem to be uh, a native IT HR person. So right from the beginning, have you seen any changes in terms of how you relate to, say, the techies or how the techies relate to you over the years? Yes. In fact, there has been a paradigm shift in the way the whole relationship between HR, technology, technology people and uh, vice versa. The early years uh, have been very, very, you know, I would say fundamental, having a lot of influence more on typically like a personal management and industrial relation kind of an HR person to a digital HR which we have evolved over the years. Significant influence of technology into HR that can touch the lives of people. So from that way, I think it's a huge, huge shift from where we started our careers, you know, probably two decades back to where I stand today. It's tremendous. And I think, uh, you know, it's also important for this kind of growth to sustain uh, with the IT industry growing through various cycles. I'm sure we have seen through at least two rounds of recession, and then we bounce back larger, bigger, and, uh, you know, more powerful. And to deal with such kind of an environment, I think HR also has evolved a lot in terms of building a very strong uh, base uh, for any organizational growth is what I believe. Yeah, obviously, when you say that things are changing and evolving, many things may not have precedence, particularly in interacting with people. So are there any experiments that you've tried over the years, things that work, things that didn't work, mainly from the context of uh, software development, we say is a team sport. Enabling a team sport, which means right from configuring or creating a team, helping the team come together, perform. So if you have any stories on uh, what has worked, what doesn't work in creating effective teams, that would be interesting. Yes. Uh, see, from an era where, you know, people used to spend uh, trying to analyze human behavior or trying to put down what should be done. It was all more paper-based uh, understanding of a person. Over a period, there were several frameworks that evolved. Like, you know, how do we really put a method to this madness? And how accurate can we really analyze an employee behavior, accordingly look at behavior versus performance versus pay? All of this started getting interlinked. That is what I I would say. And for that purpose, HR also went through its own technology inventions, frameworks, whether you talk about a simple appraisal system of an individual, right? 
from just trying to analyze in a subjective manner is there a way we can very clearly you know have questions can we have matrices where we can finally kind of uh, at least say this is how the human behavior or this person belongs to such kind of or exhibits this kind of behavior and then look at the larger organization studying patterns all of that and apart from that brazil is just an example but if you really look at it uh, even from an organizational growth perspective what kind of analytics can we do today it's huge whether it's when we talk about business analytics on one side hr analytics is equally crucial for the organization for decisions to be made that finally leads to the health and overall uh, well-being of the growth of the firm hr analytics is another thing predictive analytics you know when we look at all of these things it's a huge change and there is a extreme dependency on technology i, I can't uh, look at hr and technology separately today with the way we have so seamlessly merged uh, and the kind of uh, digitization that we have gone through so we do use i mean in short to answer your question definitely yes there are there are several i think developments we have done in to the hr field in the various facets to beat this whole change that is happening in the economy yeah two questions triggered by that no one while yeah, i do understand that um, it is possible with a sizable population to come up with some patterns how do you prevent from stereotyping a person based on some of this data that we collect that is the first part of the question a second part is the more you rely on analytics and data probably a substantial part of your time is also consumed in that which is probably not on the people facing or people interaction side how do you balance this okay answering your second question first you're very right you know if, if one person tries to play every single role i don't think uh, you know everyone has just 24 hours and uh, that is where within hr very clearly we do have our own uh, you know there is a very clear vertical that is there or an alignment so that each person who's coming in into hr comes with a certain specialization in a certain area so that uh, he or she can give it a best and there is always stitching up the story that happens so when we look at it one from the predictive analytics or you know all of this data that is there and, and you know analyzing this data and consuming it one while we try and work on just the systems and tools and studying patterns etc most of this load also comes from the front ending hr teams who are uh closely associated with employees in their day to day life in the organization there is a lot of feed that comes from them as well without which just pure analytics on the technology side will not work so the input that gets into the system is through conversations is through still being that traditional hr it's just that maybe over the last 2 years we've become lot more virtual because of the situation we've been in but otherwise the way we have always acted is getting the information from the floor and then moving it into our systems and then studying the patterns and even when we want to you know finally come out there are certain outcomes from every analysis that we do and there are certain actions so when we go about taking these actions as well it then goes back to the floor so you know the feedback taken the reaction goes back to say yes for this feedback this is what is going to be the way we will try one if there is great feedback to sustain it if there is scope for improvement then we come up with very clear action points to see that you know when we have a similar thing being done on a periodic basis we see that scale of improvement in the employee experience so i would just like to clarify the way we look at things or you know as my personal experience while there is information technology and there are predictions and patterns that are always available i think the role of an hr person is how best you use this 
to really look at a retention strategy, employee growth, taking care of those esteem needs and the way we want to really harness uh, one employee growth and then the organizational growth associated with it. So pure dependency or stereotyping an individual, I would ideally must not happen. But that could happen in situations where probably we have people who or in HR where, you know, uh, actions or reactions are done purely based on, you know, outputs that are available and uh, there is minimum interaction. That, that can lead to actually a not so comfortable situation or a disaster. Data is there to help you, but that should not become the sole uh, dependency to decide on uh, what we want to do with the individual or the group. Yeah, wonderful. When you mentioned uh, interactions and conversations and individuals, one of the popular approaches that teams are taking nowadays is called the agile ways of working, which comes from the agile manifesto. The first thing is about individuals and interactions over process and tools. Don't hide behind your process or tools, but it is all about having those conversations. Have you seen, obviously you must have seen some challenges in not the conversations just between HR and let's say the other teams or even among team members, what has been your experience in promoting more conversational style of working together and arriving at consensus or achieving as a team? Yeah. See, in fact, if you really look at it in any role play that is happening in the office, probably HR will come at the later half of the story. And uh, that also, see, while there are certain things which are our hygiene practices of saying, you know, what's happening, doing a dipstick, trying to do a survey and things like that, which are, you know, very proactive in nature, which we try and do. Otherwise, what happens, this whole conversations and uh, a reaction, a counter reaction to it starts within teams only. That's why I strongly believe a reporting manager or a first level manager is actually the true HR who first starts his job or her job, right? Because if there is a very strong relationship and positive conversations happening between the relationship of hierarchy that is there for an individual, we really don't need somebody designated as an HR person to, real, to come and play a role there. If Because in most organizations or product companies, or if you look at some of these older organizations that have been there for a long time, people who believed in some of the best practices, it was always a reporting manager who delivered the good news or the bad news and had that constructive conversation with the employee but today over time with mass and you know kind of employees uh, also with the numbers increasing significantly that technology comes in and it also becomes a little less personal than the way it used to be in the past so i would say hr role comes the second half of the story it's always basis what is happening in the project what is happening within teams looking at the situation accordingly an hr partner intervenes to see what needs to be done so those are, some of them are reactive, but as I said, proactive is, can we create platforms so that we always have an occasion, even if we have, I mean, not everybody is always wanting to just find time, let's talk, let's meet. I don't think it happens. Everybody has their day job, there are priorities, work has to be delivered, et cetera. But during all this that happens, can we set certain platforms, certain practices, which become like part of your day job? So that, you know, oh, once in 15 days, this is the connect that I have to do. And it is, I have to do it sometimes. I mean, even if it sometimes uh, takes a backseat, it is pushed to the forefront and it and we remind that, you know, these are certain things we need to do. And from there flows a lot of reactions for which, you know, then the HR looks into and then accordingly takes any corrective steps that would be needed and appreciation. 
effective. So when I just say connect, it is not just about talking, but it's about uh, recognition. It is uh, rewarding. It is about uh, giving them, you know, a listen, basically listening. That's extremely important because most of the time that's where, you know, people tend to feel they don't have a space in the company when they're not heard. When they feel it is more a top-down that's coming on to us, at least in this era and this generation of youngsters who are coming through, their patience level is extremely low. They are a lot more, you know, I would say assertive. I wouldn't say aggressive, but definitely very assertive in what they want, uh, despite whatever has been their experience. Yeah, you actually partly answered my next question, but I want oh, okay. to dive into that a little deeper. Okay. Since also the majority of the listeners of this podcast are non-HR people from the technical side. Some of the things that I hear frequently, and I guess I also went through a similar challenge of the transition from being an individual contributor to a quote-unquote leader. It may be a tech lead to start with or later on a manager or a manager of managers and so on. When you mentioned that HR starts with the manager and the formal HR comes a little later, I fully you know, subscribe to that. But how can we techies get HR? That is, understand this and the discomfort that comes from pretty much managing probably others who are your peers till yesterday. And suddenly now you're the lead, whether it is about delegation or whether it is about demanding some work or whether it is... Uh, arriving at a consensus, whatever other issues are there. How can one make this transition smooth? So uh, there are, I think there are two questions here. One is looking at how do technical, you know, people being, you know, individual contributors become leads and how do they really start managing things, which probably also forms part of the operations apart from just delivering their technical competence. And the second part is a situation where not just you becoming a lead, but you're also ending up becoming a lead to your peers in the past and how do you deal with the a sensitive situation is mm -hmm. is that right chip so yeah. answering the first part to it my view is uh, i think there has been some understanding now at least over the years we have uh, kind of seen is uh, can we really look at uh, a clear career path for people especially people who are extremely technical in nature and people who want to grow the technical path, we should not really, I would say, push the baggage of the operations onto their head, which they are not cut out for. There is a, a very high predictability of people who prefer, and that's how I think their, uh, you know, brain is also, I would say, comes with that structure. Wired, yeah. People who are core technical prefer to be technical and spend their time in technology growth, enhancement, et cetera, rather than looking at, okay, have you filled your timesheet? Have you done this? Have you looked at this? Where is my project status? And things like that, which they will actually not do well. What happens? They start, you know, coming down in their performance. So that over the years, some kind of maturity has come in organizations to allow employees to choose the kind of career path they would want to move. Do you want to be into project management? Do you want to be a techno-functional person? Do you want to be a core technical person who becomes, you know, an architect, a solutions director, enterprise, or whatever you go on that, where you are still more like an individual contributor, but definitely you are enhancing and working towards increasing the knowledge capabilities of the teams. Given that, I would say identifying, especially it is a huge responsibility on the leader of that unit to identify this first. Beyond all this, there should also be some records of looking into from a training perspective, 
what has been the inclination and those conversations, especially with top performers whom we intend to elevate. And uh, it, it's employee has to be heard, manager has to really understand and then the leader should take the call. The second part of it, the question that you asked is, you know, when, when peers become, you know, a peer becomes your manager, then, you know, how does both of them take the whole relationship? So it's definitely yeah. a very uncomfortable situation, no matter how magnanimous somebody is. But when it comes to career or growth somewhere, uh, you know, there is there will be hidden discomfort. In this, I think the most important thing is there needs to be some time that can be uh, given into this whole settling. Second, uh, the listening abilities, conversations, more frequent conversations, bringing in that comfort of a continued work relationship where it means that, you know, as I move to take on this leadership role, it's not about an authoritarian leadership style that comes in, but a more collaborative leadership style. Despite one person or either of them putting a lot of effort, sometimes it may work, sometimes it may lead to the risk of losing one of them in the team. But uh, unless otherwise we don't try this, uh, it's extremely impossible to always get inorganic managers to run projects. So being a top performer, we believe the person also comes with that ability to deal with such kind of situations. I mean, personally, I have seen it for myself. It has not been easy when, you know, my peers became my team members. Uh, there was a lot of discomfort and from a personal experience, the way I have dealt with it is more conversations to make them understand that this whole leadership is to more collaborate to the success of the unit rather than, you know, trying to put somebody down. And if they get that understanding and your intentions are very clear, I'm sure those kind of leaders will be extremely successful. They will rather get more appreciation from their peers. That's what I, I think. Yeah, very nicely put. Particularly your own example of how you handled it, again, through conversations, yeah. I think was reassuring. I see you've also been working with uh, teams internationally, including yes. from what little I know about merging cultures, right? Company cultures and possibly yeah. country cultures or you know, regional cultures. So what has been that experience? It has been extremely challenging, even if I would just bring about one decade of difference. So, you know, we have done several. Let me just take, there are two kinds of uh, global diversity. One is just about having people join HCL, you know, in other countries and what do we do for them? That's one part. The second part is we go ahead and do transitions of other organizations or products into HCL, where it's just not the product, but we also get the people into it. That's another second kind of a global, you know, cultural challenge that we look at and how do we deal with it. So one part where it is where we are hiring and growing global in the company, it's extremely important what kind of policies that we have in those countries and how sensitive are we. Just as much as, you know, we take interest in when we were when we ramp up in India and we look at things that are constantly changing. We should also be extremely cognizant that in the other countries, you know, people are equally treated and we have policies and, and things that actually promote that, you know, you're welcomed into the organization. There are the very simple things. I mean, this is just a very anecdote that I'll, I'll say. Whenever earlier we used to publish any kind of a communication, right? So we are so used to being an Indian organization that we would tell, okay, you need to close something which is related to some kind of initiative or employee has to submit something or et cetera. This has to be closed by so-and-so date, 6 p.m. IST. 
And by the time the employee in the other country wakes up, he's like, okay, my time's already over. And then, you know, um, <laughs> these are little things. It can be from the communications team, somebody sitting there who's been doing it. We've done it in the past. So it, it could continue. Until then, you know, we have to go back and say things are really changing. You know, you have to ensure every such kind of an initiative has its timeline for the country. That is the very basic that you can get started with in saying, right, it's just not about where is the majority of our population, but the rules apply seamlessly and equally to all of you, according to your time and according to your cultures also. From a feeling like, yes, we are truly a global organization. The second part is to look at this whole transitions, mergers that we do. That's a very tough situation. One, because the employee from the other organization already joins us with a very heavy mindset. He or she might have served several years in that previous organization. And now they suddenly feel, oh, I am being given away to a new organization along with the product and whatever. And I don't know what's my future. So, you know, my organization didn't want me and therefore I'm here or whatever. It's a perception that keeps getting built. That time, I think it calls for a lot of empathy, a lot of listening abilities to these people. While I think our endeavor is to ensure that, you know, we will work in the best interest of our organization, but at the same time, ensure that this employee feels he is treated fair. He or she is treated fair. Moving in into, you know, this new organization actually is a welcome change for his or her career growth. It takes a lot of time. That is what we, you know, there is a pre-transition phase of conversations. We try and find evangelists in these or the organizations that we are taking in who believe that, you know, yeah, the new firm is the place where we need to work, put them on the job to talk to their employees there so that a new company speaking, people will always look at it with a, you know, a yellow shade. But if it's your own team member who's trying to talk about, hey, look at the perspective this way, maybe the acceptance level or willingness to open up gets far higher. So that second part of the story is a lot more challenging for us because it's just not about policies. It's about a whole cultural shift that we need to very critically look at and handle it in a very sensitive manner. That's interesting when you mentioned empathy. How about the reverse empathy? That is, if I'm already from the, say, existing company and there's a new person coming into my team and how do I get over the feeling that, oh, we bought them, so they are... Okay, definitely the next class or whatever. How do I ensure that I can also integrate them, I can include them and have my team also appreciate the same? Yeah, in fact, uh, Shiv, for this itself, you know, very specifically, we have certain programs because it's a very valid point. See, there are some people who come with a DNA of understanding quickly, coming with this empathy, etc. And they know how to treat but otherwise, as you said, the situation that you mentioned, we've got them, we've got them. And, you know, you have that line of authority that you believe it is existing, though it is actually a vacuum that is sitting there. We spend a lot of time on with both the teams, especially from a cultural sensitization. Sometimes it has to be taught so that, you know, we let them know if, you know, your the inability to understand if it is there. Such kind of programs clearly draws the bullet points that, you know, what is our expected behavior to make certain things happen, which is, which needs to be extremely professional. So we run programs from, for both such teams, the, the incumbent team, as well as the existing team, we do this. And then we look at patterns. We kind of study it. Have they understood? 
then conversations. In fact, that is where that whole post-transition itself, we kind of spend what we call it as a 30, 60, 90 days of dipstick to understand how are we progressing. And you can actually read or see a certain behavioral pattern in the feedbacks that we get. Not that we can change everything. Certain things in this organization exist and it is meant to exist. Certain things have been extremely good or extremely, or I would say not so good in the other organization. It has to be a blend. So while we can't change, how do we work around? So that's the other point that we, we spend time on. Yeah, so far we spoke about a lot of the, the good things that HR does. But I'm sure that HR is a fairly stressful role. Whenever anything or anybody is not happy, I'm sure they'll come to HR. Yes. In fact, um, I think that's how people say, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we, we hear all these crude jokes, right? Evil HR, that's what it lands up with. Unfortunately, the truth remains that uh, we become custodians of policies. We would say, you know, we are the gatekeepers of certain things while we have to absolutely ensure and safeguard the interest of the organization, how do we have that seamlessly going into the minds of the employees is a very, very challenging role, extremely stressful. Because many a times people feel if I'm in the situation somewhere, you know, the reason is HR. If I got a good, if I got a bad increment, it's HR. If I didn't get a good feedback, it's HR. Or, you know, I didn't get this recognition, it's HR. <laughs> we don't get some budget, it's yeah. HR. So, you know, the, the ultimate custodian of all evil happens to be HR. So, well, actually, we are the very, uh, we are the best people for people to connect with. <laughs> we still laugh after taking all this load on to us. But uh, it's not easy. And uh, actually getting yourself being welcomed into their group as part of their team is the first achievement of a good HR person. If there is a team that believes I need to first speak to my HR, I need to speak to, I have this problem, I can think of to speak to so-and-so, that's where the bond is built. If we sit far away from them and we are just trying to be an email HR, then I don't think it's ever going to happen. And the impression what they carry about an HR person will continue. Mm. Even during the recession phase, etc., there have there have been some very unpleasant actions that we may need to do, right? I mean, it is more because if the ship is going to sink, might as well have, you know, the situation is, can we offload some luggage so that at least the ship sails and the whole ship does not sink? So when such things happen, the person who's offloading that baggage out of the ship is an HR person. So it's not a very comfortable situation at all. Very stressful. Very, it is actually an emotional stress too. Because yeah. conversations are yeah, not touching too much on it. It's not extremely positive. And therefore in a day, maybe I can do one or two. Then you can just imagine the kind of uh, load I take back home. So yes, it is uh, mentally, I think we have to be very strong in what we want to do while we, you know, try and put ourselves or put our footsteps into the floor of the team where they know, okay, this is part of our team and HR is not a separate department. Yeah. I remember we used to have conversations about whenever there is an HR person in the office, there'll be a long line of people waiting outside. <laughs> like, <laughs> question is, how do you de-stress? As a person, as an individual, as myself, there are many things that I yeah. try and do. Yeah, this is about, this story is about you. So yeah, how do you de-stress? In fact, you know, the amount of de-stress I try and do over the weekend, people wonder, do you do any work over the week? Is like, so what makes you happy? I think that's uh, really important. And you know, whether you're a man or a woman, 
my view is uh, unless otherwise you have to do something beyond your work otherwise you will be so sucked into that uh, you know particular uh, the same ecosystem and you get sucked into it so uh, there's no other life right and all of us already have our families equally stressful or you know stressed out spouse or children and whatever that we're leading in a personal space to do or you know follow certain your passion is extremely important i think that is what i think keeps me i would say not just alive but lively also otherwise it's extremely impossible and uh, you come back with a lot of fresh thoughts it actually helps you perform better at work with a happy mind there are better thoughts that come in that allow you to you know actually be innovative come up with ideas see what you can do and you can very clearly see a differentiated performance for you as an individual itself it's not about taking a holiday every two days but what's very important is you know something as simple as sitting on the laptop okay do you like to blog or do you you know want to do something else are you into poetry do you like even clicking selfies and putting up on your facebook it can be as small as that which is not time consuming but keeping yourself active into few other activities beyond just your work is is the secret i would say and we have to make time all of us have the same 24 hours but if every time you know we end up saying oh i don't have the time i don't have so where does our time go when you really think through that's important your own time time management and making space you have to force it into you you keep yeah. postponing it you can always postpone yeah well i have a clue of where you spend some time uh, do you want to share your hobby or passion with our listeners i keep myself very busy i in fact you know like to sing or you know i like spending time um, going out on road trips and on your bike I, I, yeah on my bike yes yeah. so, <laughs> so i've been doing so from 2010 onwards when we when i when we got the first uh, bike home ever since i think i've been uh, doing these kind of trips taking breaks and i think it's really important sometimes a little away to yourself is is really needed and and of course blogging i should somewhere thank you know your introduction to that uh, part or that platform and you know i still uh, actively after still so many years once in a while i keep posting something just for myself there <laughs> yeah the roasted peanuts because <laughs> because i i now believe that i need something as a repository otherwise where do i save all this all the time so <laughs> anything that comes up it's become like my library now more than you know any public display of what i do nice so yeah these are the few things that are that i really prefer to do and uh, that's why my daughter also tells where do you find the time i'm like you know they are just the opposite of what i am at home so but at least they're extremely supportive and don't stop me to not do anything that gives me more wings and power under my wings to fly <laughs> usually like to close my conversations with some career related questions sure. but with you i thought i will probably ask it is slightly in a different manner uh, in your experience have you seen any hr people wanting to become techies or the other way the other way is uh, significantly higher than this way uh, shiv where we have hr people wanting to become core techies that movement is a lot lesser mainly because of what comes or what happens from the educational background that uh, we come with being a commerce graduate or typically people who who land up come with a profession more economics psychology and these kind of uh, subjects that we would have studied 
there is very little of coding or what we learn, except if there is something out of personal interest. But if you look at it, there are many HR people who have become business heads, who run the businesses, who work on your PLs, who work on what's happening with the project. But it all comes more from the project managerial or project program management side of things. Okay. I have seen HR people who have taken over, uh, you know, business roles. But definitely a technical person moving into HR. I have seen definitely a lot more such kind of situations. And uh, if you also look at uh, typically as a blend, you will see many engineers who end up doing their MBAs in HR and then, you know, okay. ending up taking the HR as their profession. So they come with a wonderful blend, actually. One is uh, trying to be understanding the technology by nature of their education and at the same time appreciating and coming with that empathy of an HR. So that's a good blend, which actually I see more. So with all this, uh, the changes in technology, everybody talks about uh, new technology, no code, low code, all that. What do you think will be the challenges or something that one needs to be prepared for? If I'm a techie, how do I future-proof my career? So one is uh, whether it is technology or a techie or an HR person or any other profession uh, shift, if somebody is getting into uh, a certain area, I think one Sometimes when we are too young and when we enter in, as I told you, you can enter by choice or by chance. That can happen. But over a period of time, we need to quickly understand, does that still remain that you are here by chance or now you've made that your choice? And if you've made that your choice, then what is important is investing yourself into that particular line that you have chosen and uh, upskilling yourself all the time no matter what you take, whether you continue to be an HR or you continue to be a technical person, uh, once you've made the choice, then investment on yourself is extremely important. It is, the rewards will automatically flow if you have invested enough in yourself, which is exhibited to your organization. And uh, it's just not about your organization. You can then go anywhere to grow longer and, you know, trying to be that uh, a winner in what you do. So know-how, investing, understanding, and constantly keeping yourself uh, abreast with what's happening around you is what will take you. You end up being something just closed and just doing that bit. You can probably continue to do that forever. Yeah, on that note, we've really run out of time for this conversation. Thanks a lot, Kirpa. And yeah, sure. Yeah, I think we can continue these conversations another time. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Shiv. Thanks. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the Software People Stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, Contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.